Sorry about your grandma. You know you were her favorite. Who's gonna take care of me when you die? She isn't gone. You know you were her favorite. I swear, I can feel them in the room. You know you were her favorite, right? Something is happening. I think my mother put a curse on us. Mom? I need to call the police. The police can't help us. Mom? Favorite, Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of all things film and television. Tonight, I'm joined by Amir Toure. This is Derek Wong. All right, so tonight, I'm so excited, guys. <laughs> this is the first episode we're doing where this is a movie that I have seen way before you guys, and you guys just recently watched this. I guess today, right? Um, yeah, I just saw it like. Maybe a half hour ago. I probably finished a half hour ago or so. Yep. I watched it this morning. Nice. Nice. Pretty fresh in my mind. So are we going are we, are we yes. to be able to sleep tonight, Jeff? I don't know. It's up to you guys. <laughs> so tonight we're talking about Ari Aster's first feature-length film, Hereditary, which came out in uh, 2018. Jeff, one of your favorite movies of the last decade, right? Yeah. It was number nine on my top 25 films of the decade list and for my 2018 top 10 it was number one actually so i am very very enamored with this movie i like it a lot i'm a i'm a big horror nut so one of my favorites and i was really excited for you guys to experience it for the first time and i'm excited to hear what you guys (laughs) thought about it um well um your taste in movies sucks jeff because this was a (laughs) steaming pile of garbage no i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding um it was really good actually i really enjoyed it i knew a little bit about it going in and so i think that affected how i watched the movie and how i analyzed the movie but let's let's get a little into that later what did you think Derek? yeah i really enjoyed it too i I, it kind of brings me back to watching midsommar uh, his, I guess, uh, second feature film and having m- much of the same reactions, like a lot of like, oh shit moments, a lot of moments where I was just shocked and disgusted and tense, all those adjectives <laughs> at once at sometimes. Um, I was just telling Jeff, man, that last 20 minutes of the movie just really ramps up. And Yeah, yeah, it goes from zero to 100 real quick. This, this movie is two years old, so... Obviously, we're going to be going. Yeah, spoilers free. Weapons hot. Uh, If you don't want to hear about uh, the ending of the movie or any of the surprises, uh, I don't know. Stop the podcast now and come back after you've seen it. It's it's worth it. Go watch it. Amir, you haven't seen. No, I haven't. I haven't. But I've been heavily spoiled on that one. So again, that's going to be another one I can't really watch completely fresh. Um, it was just, it was just too memeable. I was just seeing it in all corners of the internet. You know. Yeah, and so Derek, you'd probably be able to say more to this than Mm -hmm. Amir, but. I want to say that Hereditary is a little more accessible than Midsummer. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. I totally thought you were going to say the opposite. Yeah. I think if you compare Midsummer to this, you know, this is still very much in the vein of horror, maybe more traditional horror versus, like you said, Jeff, it's a little bit less accessible, a little bit more out there and definitely maybe more thought provoking in a sense than I don't know if you agree with that statement. Obviously, Hereditary has, like, it's what-the-fuck moments. Like, 
Midsummer, a lot of it, the last third probably of Midsummer, people are like, what the fuck is going yeah. on, right? Really, really out there. I think both have pretty weak cinema scores, which I never pay any attention to, because um, that's like always lowest common denominator audiences and what they think of movies and, and things like that. So I never really pay attention to cinema scores. But I remember both of them being like really low on the cinema score grading curve, right? When they came out. I will say that Hereditary has like supernatural elements to it where I feel like you can interpret Midsummer of not. Everything's pretty grounded in in, in Midsummer where you kind of potentially see this happening in some remote, you know, European country or whatever. But Hereditary, you do have to suspend a little disbelief because there are some supernatural elements to it. But very few, very like little until that until that last, yeah. you know, maybe half an hour. Um, you know, it could still all be a, this is all in their heads sort of plot, right? Mm-hmm. And and that was something yeah. that they played with. It was a very subtle introduction of the horror elements, which I thought was good. I was a little nervous about that because I was like, well, it'd be really lame if this was just like a oh, she was crazy plotline. Like, I wouldn't have liked that. Like, you've seen the, I don't know, hysterical woman overreacting uh, plotline so many times. Like, it wouldn't have been interesting if they'd gone that way with it. So I'm glad that it actually was a real sort of demonic possession plot. I always hate those reveals where it's like, oh, she's nuts. I'm always, like, disappointed when it turns out to be, like, that It's sort of faintly, you know? faintly misogynistic. It's just a little bit uninteresting, right? It's just, like, boring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm glad they didn't go that way. I'm glad it was like a real demonic possession. So something you don't hear every day. You know, by the end, it was very kind of Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah, for know, sure. Which yeah, I didn't yeah, really yeah. get until the very end. I was like, oh, this is this is what they're doing. Okay, I got it now. So yeah. I want to ask, uh, Amir, have you seen The Outsider? I can't remember. Do, do we, we talk I about I didn't this? see it yet. You didn't see it yet. But Jeff, you've seen it, right? Yeah, The Outsider. Yeah, yeah. so the, yeah, this I've movie yeah. kind of reminds me of that very first episode where that whole family basically just like dies. Right, it's like this, like yeah, this. Uh, yeah, well, consequence of this, like demon, like or whatever entity trying to like feed on people's sadness, and it kind of reminded me. Spoilers, yeah. <laughs> spoilers, spoilers for the yeah. outsider. By the way, thanks, Derek. It's like yeah. this secondary family that nobody cares about. But like, yeah, like this whole family just dies in this one episode in like just horrific ways, and and this just kind of reminds me of that, like this whole two hour adventure that we go through in this one movie, where it's just yeah. like this whole family is tormented and everyone pretty much dies except for the son. And yeah, I just I just want to say that Ari Aster, like these being his first two uh, feature films, they're very well directed mm-hmm. too. Yeah. Yes. Same uh, cinematographer for both of them, Pavel Porkazelski. He's uh, the director of photography on both films. Very, very well shot movies. And if you guys don't know, like Ari Aster, he was primarily known for his short films before directing Midsummer and Hereditary. And I think all of them are like on YouTube or like Vimeo or some other streaming services. They're all really interesting, and you can see like a lot of his signature style in these shorts, probably the one that departs the most from his wheelhouse, so to speak, is one called C'est La Vie. And it's like more, I want to say like a PSA type documentary than a narrative. Mm -hmm. It's like this incisive takedown of society and consumerism and like this commentary on homelessness about like how nobody sets out to be homeless, but 
they end up that way after they've been like, I don't know, I want to say like chewed up and spit out by the system and things like that. And I think that short has like a lot of through line of his like main feature films because he has like that one quote in the short where he's like, it's about like the nature of horror. He's like, you know what Freud said about the nature of horror? He says it's when home becomes unhomelike. I think with Hereditary, you're talking about like tragedy and grief. And Midsummer, it's kind of the same. Also talking about tragedy and grief, but also it's like a breakup movie, mm-hmm. right? So it's taking like these aspects of everyday life and then flipping them to like an extreme. Hereditary is obviously like demonic possession. And then the end of Midsummer is like this cult insanity. It's so it's like when the home becomes unhomelike, mm. you know? So it's definitely really interesting. Um, I mean, I would say that I think Midsummer leans more into the aspect of like tragedy and finding a new home, or in a sense, finding a yeah, new family exactly. versus this. Like it really deals with tragedy in the, maybe the first like two thirds of the movie, but then it really departs right at that last, I think, 20 minutes. This is sort of about someone finding a new family. But it, it's like, <laughs> but it's not really him, right? It's like this, it's like this cult of people that are trying to bring out this demon god or whatever you want to call it, like, right? So it's the implication is that he dies at the end, right? And then the, the thing takes his body. Yeah, Paimon needs a home too. Yeah, I guess that's the implication. <laughs> I guess he dies at the end and then gets up as Paimon. I read an interview with Ari Aster and he said that with Hereditary, he wanted to do like a take on modern American tragedy or like tragedy narratives where a family goes through something horrible and like completely horrific. He wanted to do a different take on... You know how like these tragedies, they like learn a lesson and they come out the other side stronger mm-hmm. and they overcome their grief. But Ari Aster said he wanted to do something different where it shows that sometimes you fall down and like you don't get back up. Mm. So he, he said that's what he wanted to do with Hereditary. He's a, he seems like real fun yeah, at a party. Yeah, so. mission accomplished, buddy. <laughs> he made a, real, made a real heart warmer. Real uplifting. Yeah, especially because, like, Tony Collette's character thinks she knows what she's doing, right? Or thinks that she has some kind of control. But yeah. at the end, she she absolutely doesn't and is just a pawn in this, this scheme, right? Yeah. That's crazy. Sorry, Amir, what were you going to say? Because I kind of knew that it was a horror sort of supernaturally movie and there were a lot of hints dropped early on, I was kind of always waiting through the first, you know, two-thirds of the quarters of the movie for the other shoe to drop. And like, okay, where's this kind of supernatural horror element going to come in? Mm. And I was kind of thinking like, oh my God, am I going to enjoy that part of the movie as much as I've enjoyed the first, you know, uh, the first the first parts? Because I did really enjoy the whole meditation on grief in the first, you know, two thirds to three quarters of the movie. Yeah. It's a very, like, it's just a straight up good movie about like a family tearing itself apart in the wake of a tragedy, right? But yeah, it's really, uh, it's really excellent. Um there's just so many uh, so many layers to it. Uh, all the tragedies of the family, um, and then the uh, the whole thing where she slept, walked, and almost burned Peter alive. Yeah. Like, the fact that the dad is a psychiatrist, and you know, and he's sort of always playing this weird role of mediator in the family between the son and the wife who don't get along. And, there's just so many dynamics there that I think are really realistic and really work. I mean, Jeff, you're an older brother. You know, you have a younger sister, and I, and I do as well. And uh, the whole scene of uh, 
of uh, Annie forcing Peter to take his sister to the party I thought was so on point. Oh, yeah, for so sure. realistic. I was like, wow, that's definitely such a realistic dynamic. And, you know, and Peter's sort of the sullen teenager, and then there's this, and, and, and then there's the, uh, the aspect of the almost burning alive thing, which I hate to say it reminds me of The Last Jedi. <laughs> reminds me of uh, Kylo Ren waking up and seeing Luke uh, with his lightsaber lights, a little bit like Peter waking up and seeing his mom, uh, you know, dousing with lighter fluid. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah. I, I just think the characters are so acutely drawn. You know, you, you really feel deeply for each of them. You know, you feel bad for Peter, like, having to drag his sister along to this party. He's just trying to smoke weed and get laid and just, like, enjoy, you know, his uh, high school stoner experience. He's got to drag his sister along. He's trying to ditch her or whatever. Ah, just go eat those. Go eat that. Go eat that cake over there. I'm sure there's no nuts in it. Um, <laughs> which I think was masterfully done, by the way. I think it was really good that they set up the nut allergy from, I mean, from the first scene with, uh, oh, yeah, do we have the EpiPen at the funeral? And uh, they, they set that up from the very beginning. You, you know Chekhov's guns are going to fire. And then they fake you out with the uh, telephone pole thing. Let's talk a little bit about the performances in this film. They're so yeah. great. Yeah, everybody's excellent. Tony Collette. I feel like she was totally snubbed for 2018. Yeah. yeah. Oscars race. She definitely should have at least been in the running, right? Alex Wolf as Peter is fantastic. Very good. Millie Shapiro is great as Charlie suitably creepy in the in the creepy yeah very role. creepy creepy child she's very good and you also feel for totally her. upending your expectations right because like you know how these movies go like these horror movies like oh the creepy child she's gonna be like a big player in the whole like, movie nah, and, really. like no not really right um i do want to say that gabriel byrne is probably the weak yeah. link um as the dad steve yeah, Steve. He doesn't have as much to chew on. Um, in the, in the I think movie. it's okay. I think I think they have to keep him. Yeah, I, it's I fine. think they have it's to fine. keep him yeah. at a distance because it's sort of Tony Collette's movie, right? The movie's mm-hmm. sort of from her perspective yeah. and her. It's her story. It's her family. It's her. Her mother. Her mom. It's her mom's cult. It's her mom's demon or whatever. It's like you know, it's not. Yeah. It's not Steve's movie. But I think you do get a little bit of a window into Steve a little bit when he he finally does start to show some emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, blows up at uh, his wife a couple times. He's very supportive of Peter. You know, he cooks dinner and I don't know. It's just he's I, I like Steve a lot, actually. He just it's, you know, seeing everything from his perspective, you know, he thinks his wife is going crazy. And I think yeah. it's really interesting because she's got this history of doing weird things in the past. And he's a psychiatrist himself. And he um, justifiably doesn't buy into any of this. And so I think it's, it's a really interesting. Well, not to, not to mention her family history. Of right. Exactly. Yeah. Right? yeah. 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 I mean, there's a lot going on there. Um, and they've just gone through this tragedy, which would kind of cause anyone to crack. And obviously she's not dealing with it well. She doesn't have any support system. Obviously her parents aren't around, but she also doesn't seem to really have any friends to lean on or a church or like any kind of community. She doesn't seem to really talk to her husband about it. Maybe she does, yeah. and it's just it's just not in the movie. I don't I don't know. Maybe they have a better relationship, you know, than, than we see. But you know, they're all very isolated from each other. Just even where the house is, right? It, it's always it's set in some kind of what looks like in the forest or something up in the hills, and they're they're isolated from everybody else too. Okay, so do you know where and when the film is set? I actually don't know where it takes place. Like, I don't know if they ever say like a state or anything like that. Yeah, I don't they don't they say, say it, but I can tell you where because place. I looked it up. Um, oh, okay. So I, I don't know. Just seeing up. like okay. this contemporary film, um, it made me wonder like how modern is it? Because at first, 
You don't actually see any cell phones or anything like that. So you're like, oh, is this like supposed to be like some kind of weird throwback? And Peter at least pulls out like a smartphone. So you're like, all right, this is clearly a pretty modern movie. So one of the songs in the movie is by Flatbush Zombies, and it's from 2012. So the movie is supposed to at least take place uh, as recently as that, if not more recently. Uh, mm-hmm. But the oldest it could be would be 2012, because that's when the song came out. And, you know, with Peter driving around uh, with those flat open spaces, I was kind of like, eh, this seems kind of like a Midwestern-y sort of state. But I think it's actually um, supposed to be Utah. There's a scene where... Uh, Steve is driving with Peter back from the school, and uh, he almost runs a red light. And mm-hmm. uh, the street there is, I forget the name of it, is Route 260 something or something, whatever it is. But it's a road in Utah. So I think they're in Utah. Uh, oh, okay. So it's Utah between 2012 and 2018, I guess. Some uh, some detective. A little bit, there. yeah. I don't know. I just kind of got interested in like, okay, when is this movie, where and when is this movie supposed to be set? Like, So yeah, I looked into it a little bit. I didn't look into where, like, where it's canonically set within the universe of the movie. There's just like the clues that I've got, right? But maybe Ari Aster has his own idea for where the movie's supposed to be. I don't, I don't, I don't like know. Like where they're shooting. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like, like I don't actually know. The details. Yeah, the it's just like the stuff. picking up yeah, the background yeah. details and stuff. And also, this is a movie that really benefits on like a second and third watch. I bet. Yeah. There's just so much foreshadowing. Really? How so? That's interesting. Things that are set up. So like the whole entire film is set off when Annie... Tony Collette's character, her mother dies. And they have like this fractured and distant and cold relationship. So the whole thing is that she doesn't know how she wants to feel about her mother's death or whatever. So when they come back from the funeral, she's going through the old photo album, right? And there's that, you remember that note? Yes, yeah. Yeah, the note was very creepy. Even on a first watch, it's like, oh, your sacrifices will be rewarded or something. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually wrote down what what it said. It says, forgive me all the things I could not tell you. Please don't hate me and try not to despair your losses. You will see in the end that they were worth it. Our sacrifice will pale next to the rewards. Such a weird yeah, note. Yeah, very. Such a weird note, right? Your losses. I Like, what, what losses yeah, exactly. are you talking about? Like, if I'm dead, like, well, what else would I be talking about, right? So the whole thing is that Annie's mom is like, a part of this cult that worships Paimon, this demon, and their whole thing is like making sacrifices to bring Paimon into like the physical world or whatever. Yeah, so a lot of foreshadowing. And then the big scene with Charlie where she gets decapitated by the telephone pole, if you watch that again, Paimon's symbol is on the telephone. Really? That's cool. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. Does that mean that there's like mystical forces guiding? Her to her Could death, Who knows? or is it just like a little Easter egg? Who you knows? don't know, yeah. right? But it's it's interesting either way. Yeah. Also, biggest shock of the movie. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Are, I, right? The problem is, I already knew about it, so I was I was anticipating. Yeah. It, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't know anything about. Really? This. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I put my hands over my mouth, and yeah. I knew it was coming. So I can only imagine how you felt. Yeah. Obviously, her death was shocking. I mean, she's like a thirteen-year-old girl, right? But the Biggest shock was yes. After. How Peter reacts to it—it's yeah, very incredibly it's disorienting so and weird. Up. Yeah, yeah. And like, I guess you could you could say it's like a shock reaction or whatever. But that is one aspect of the film that kind of bothered me is you never really get into Peter's head and deal with like his guilt. Right? It's yeah. always sort of about his mom or his relationship with his mom. Uh, it, it never gets into like yeah. his idea about 
feeling guilty because you can only imagine how guilty you would feel if that had happened um, in your life. Yeah. But it's more about his mom, like, blaming him or leveraging her own guilt against him. And you never get into his head and see how does he feel about it. So which that kind of bugs me. Which is equally bit. interesting, though. Yeah. I don't know if I could really root for the Tony Collette character. I know she's kind of our, the person we're following. This is kind of her point of view throughout the whole movie. But, you know, a lot of the things she does, like she, the, the scene at the kitchen or at the, the table when she's kind of like yelling at, at her son, like that was a little rough to watch. And then later she creates a diorama of the whole incident. It's just like insensitive much. Like it, it's all those things that just make me like, it's really hard for me to kind of connect with the character in, in a no, way. No, really, really, really poor emotional regulation there as the adult in that relationship. And, you know, you can feel for Steve in that scene being like, wow, like, is this the sort of co-parent he's had to put up with for the last, you know, 15, 20 years? She definitely does some things which are unpleasant, uh, for sure. You know, another little hint of the relationship not being that great, you know, she, uh, and it stuck out to me like a sore thumb. When she says, oh, I'm going to a movie, but she's sneaking off to grief counseling, like, that was really weird. Yeah, like, why are you not admitting that? But I, I guess it's because her husband would be like, why aren't you coming to talk to me then? I'm the psychiatrist. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. It just, it was very like, okay, so something's not right in this relationship, right? Like, yeah. I don't know who sneaks off to go see a movie without their significant other. I don't know. He didn't act like anything was wrong, but I don't know if they, they, they've already been on the outs or if that's just normal for them. Maybe yeah. they have different tastes yeah. in movies or something. But it just was weird to me. I was like, mm, something's up with this relationship. That, the car accident scene that's after Oh, that's, that scream from Tony Collette? Yeah. And then the imagery so, of the head. I mean, it's like, yeah, to yeah. to give a little background. So what happens is that Peter takes Charlie to the party, right? And then she eats the nuts by accident and goes in anaphylactic shock. That's like the Chekhov's gun that Amir you were talking about. I was like, oh, she's gonna like die from her nut allergy, but no, like she sticks her head out the window while Peter's driving her to the hospital, and then he swerves and she hits her head on the telephone pole and she's decapitated. Mm-hmm. And that's shocking enough, right? Like like I said before, but like afterwards, he just leaves her headless, decapitated body in the car for his mom to find. And he just goes into bed and like like just lies there until morning. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. And 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 that's what kind of made me feel a little bit distant from the character because I was just like, what the fuck is he doing? Yeah, like, yeah. And that's why I wanted to see a little bit more into his head, because like what the fuck was that reaction? You know, if yeah. it was just shock and grief that you'd expect to see it somewhere else in the character, and that's something I thought was lacking. Um, yeah, I mean, even, even yeah. Tony Collette's character almost calls him out on it, right? Saying, like, oh, you've never said sorry. Yeah. You never really get that. Yeah, you never get it. And, and, and you know, I guess in that scene, it's supposed to be a reflection of her own problems with Peter and her own immaturity. But yeah, I, I wish we'd gotten a little bit of a look into his head. Just to make him a little more human, uh, but I guess the movie's sort of about her. Yeah, man, yeah, that that whale from Tony Collette. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's a good one. It's bone chilling, mm-hmm. I would say. <laughs> this is weird. I've heard that in real life. Like I've heard people like crying over their dead children in real life. Tony Collette's pretty accurate there. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's worse than real life, I guess. But Ari Aster's very good at that because uh, Midsummer's all about that. Yeah, too. Yeah, um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a very good one. Um, and that image of the head with the flies or the maggots or whatever they are. Yeah, being like eaten by the ants. By the ants, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's horrible. <laughs> and it's not tiny ants. They're like these freakishly giant ants, just like gross. <laughs> <laughs> yeah really good image really good image yeah i thought the scares in this movie were fantastic there were like hardly any real jump scares no, in this it's really creepy, um, really creepy subtle stuff it's in like the background it's like the these figures shrouded in darkness you can barely see them really unsettling yeah those um, cultists in the background in the last 20 minutes were super yeah creepy. yeah and like the image of uh of annie's mom like right after the mm-hmm. funeral i don't know if you noticed yep. but like um, there's like the image of, of her um, right after she reads the note, right? Mm. Like she's like, you could, you can like barely, barely see make it, yeah. her oh, out. Interesting. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Peter hallucinating Charlie's yeah. crazy too with, uh, like she's there and then her head falls off and it's the like, ball. it becomes yeah. like the basketball. Yeah. So good. Such That's a awesome. Good. Uh, and, and, and what I yeah, loved about really that well is, it, is it, is it fit with the whole theme of the first two thirds of the movie is like, okay, is anything supernatural going on? Or are these people just breaking down in grief and horror yeah you know I mean? exactly like, that, like exactly. you know him seeing that flashback of uh the rear view mirror with the sister's decapitated body in the backseat of the car is like a textbook yeah. you know like ptsd grief reaction type of thing right um and the same with like you know uh tony Killer's character thinking she's seeing like the ghost of her mom or whatever like all that stuff is like you know up until the movie really gets heavy-handedly supernatural, it could be, um, it could all be like a reaction to this tragedy, which I think was really well done and well yeah. drawn. And I sort of liked that aspect of the movie. Yeah, going, going back to the scene where um, Peter sees uh, Charlie in his room and then the head falls off. I, I actually, after watching this movie, I watched one of those videos that kind of goes through some of the things that you might have missed during the movie. And... Mm-hmm. That particular scene is like I, I didn't notice it when I watched originally watched the movie, but you have to like really up the brightness uh, on the scene to really notice it. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah, when he wakes up, Tony Collette's in the corner, like yeah, she's in the corner, like Spider- yeah, Spider Manning it up there or something in the corner. Yeah, of the but room. I did not notice it in the ceiling. Oh, yeah, I did yeah, not yeah, notice it that. when I first watched it. Yeah, That's I so watched creepy. the video where it's like they up the the brightness of each of the scenes. Like the same for the the grandma scene, the, that scene and other scenes where like yeah, there's a lot of stuff hidden in the background that you don't see because he purposely tries to hide it with the darkness. So it's, yeah, it's really really great shooting, great production design from him. Yeah, those are the scares that I I like. I I, oh, yeah. I enjoy those a lot. Did you did you watch with your fiance? No, she no. did not watch. <laughs> She's like, what are you watching? I'm like, something you don't want to watch. <laughs> yeah. But I, I also want to talk about the um, dioramas that she creates. Yeah. Right? Especially yeah. that it's... very first scene, right? The one where it's like panning into one of the dioramas of just like Peter's room and then it transitions. And then it's Peter to Peter's room. Yeah, that was so good. <sighs> so good. Yeah. So yeah. creative. So well yeah. done, yeah. I think. But then just like all the dioramas, just like all of them you know, being so detailed. Yeah. And then, of course, it, it brings it back right at the end, right, where the real scene becomes what almost looks like a, a diorama. Yeah, yeah, so I thought I the, the use of dioramas is very creative in this movie. Yeah, and I, lo- I loved seeing uh, Tony Collette with the jeweler's loop on her head, just, like, painting yeah. a tiny thing. It was really cool. Her whole hobby, or, or like, uh, her profession of doing these dioramas, it's, it's so, like, oddly specific yes. and, yeah. like, really, like, brings out the realism in the film where, like, it's something that... It's not, like, a generic job that someone in a movie would have, right? Um, It's so, like, weirdly specific. And, like, 
I just really loved how much life it breathed into the yeah, movie. Um, uh, the way like it merges with the story and like um, how she's doing like dioramas of the car accident. It's like really disturbing, yeah. and it's and it's just a great parallel to the movie, and it just fits in seamlessly with the world that Ari Aster is building, and it's just great. I love that whole uh, little bit in the movie you know mm-hmm. yeah but uh i wanted to ask you this jeff though like do you like this more or did you like midsummer more i like this okay more, okay I, I i was gonna say i think i like midsummer more yeah i think i like midsummer more you think you like midsummer yeah. more oh interesting I, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if that was the majority uh, opinion derek because i don't see much talk about hereditary but everybody talks about midsummer. Uh, maybe midsummer's just more recent but like. It might be more recent than I think the whole like Florence Pugh of it all. <laughs> like everyone that's <laughs> loving Florence yeah, Pugh. Yeah, she's right kind of having, yeah. She having was, like the breakout. Yeah. That was kind of Moment, one of her right. breakouts moments. Yeah. But honestly, like I've I've heard about Hereditary since it's come out and I just like haven't, you know, pulled the trigger on watching it. But I'm glad I did. It's a great movie. I honestly I honestly it? think more people talk about yeah. Hereditary and like like if you're if you're looking at like the horror subreddit and like things like that. Right, um, but but then you're already talking about deviant activities, right? Looking at the horror yeah. subreddit, that, that, that's not really. I'm talking about like, yeah. I don't know, in general, it feels yeah. like Midsummer gets more play. Yeah. Maybe among horror aficionados, Hereditary is bigger. I mean, yeah. last you know two years, this movie's been out. All I all I heard was like the ending, the ending, you know, the ending. Oh really? But I guess it's also the same for like Midsummer. A lot of people talk about that ending. You hear a ton about the ending of Midsummer. Yeah, yeah. But I do feel like both movies are very similar. Like you could definitely see the, the style choices and and even just the the use of like a like a cult almost and the use of like yeah. family and grief. You know, they're very similar in both movies. Are there any memes of fucking Hereditary? Uh, yeah, there. There's always like a meme of Tony Collette screaming at the dinner table. Oh, okay, because which is like. <laughs> She's like, I'm your fucking mother. That's like the the big mm, meme, okay. I think. Because I haven't that, seen much uh, of it, but whereas Midsummer is very... It's not as memeable as Midsummer. Mm-hmm. It's because of the imagery, yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. of Midsummer with like Florence Pugh as like the May Queen in yeah. the end. It's like such a striking image that people love to make memes out of it. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this third act is crazy, just as crazy as Midsummer. Um, like when Peter like runs up the attic, I'm like, first of all, in horror movies, never run into the <laughs> attic, run out the door. Well, Terrible well, idea. Because she's coming um, from that way. Yeah, she yeah, him exactly. Up the stairs exactly. and into the attic. And dude, this, yeah. and like uh, her bang her head against the attic, dude, that uh, was horrifying. Some exercise. Yeah, so you think like she's like on a ladder, like banging upwards or something? But no, she's like she's like clinging to the ceiling like a spider. Bang her head against the attic, like floor like a woodpecker. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, And then how? Well, big spoiler alert: how Tony Collette's character dies is insane too. She's like levitating in the attic, and she's pulling like the wire through her throat, basically cuts off her own head. Yeah. Yeah, decapitates herself. Yeah, um, with like a garrote. Um, so here's my question: When did she become like possessed or whatever? I I think it is though, isn't it? When Uh, after she throws the book into the fire, um, and then you see the light hits her, 
And well, then, that could you know, be her eyes just kind of open up, and I think that's her being possessed. Yeah, because there's like that recurring theme light. with the yeah. with the flare or the light. You know, um, it shows up a couple times in the film. So you're saying um, it's a change? Of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I interpreted yeah. that as it's a Paymon. Paymon. I interpret that that's him, or that's like somehow associated with him. What about the thing where she like is choking Peter at night or whatever that scene? Is that her sleepwalking? Is that Paymon? The fuck's going on there? I don't know if I interpret the sleepwalking as like her way. Like that's actually her trying to actually protect her family. You know, if she kills Peter, then he'll be protected from Paymon. You know what I mean? It's almost like this subconscious, like the actual mother trying to protect her son by killing him. I don't know. (laughs) I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if she knows enough about the Paymon cult to like. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. She does yeah. say something explicitly. She's like, I wasn't trying to kill you. I was trying to mm. protect you. I was like, uh, by lighting me on fire? What? That was a really cool <laughs> so, twist, too. I mean, going back to the part where she, like, she takes the book thinking that, you know, I'm going to be the one who's set on fire. I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for this family. And all of a sudden, yeah, boom, and then, like, and then Steve's Steve. dead. I was like, damn. Goes up with a wax candle. Yeah. 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 That was nutty. Yeah, I didn't see that coming at all. Yeah. yeah. The last bit of the movie is a bunch of twists and turns. Um, yeah, the Paymon cult stuff is actually very cool. Like, I love the weird symbol. I love Joni. Turns out to be such a creepy character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah. And Dowd, and Dowd. Yeah, you don't great. realize that she's, she's like a she's like the fucking Rosemary's baby yeah. neighbor. I mean, right? she definitely tells just something uh, off with her. Cause yeah, because like too too happy. Her introduction, she's like, "Oh, I know you through your mother or whatever," and like, "Oh, what do you mean?" It's like she's talking about like the I guess a like, funeral service or whatever, but like. Mm-hmm. They're actually in the same cult yeah. together, so like it's like double meeting yeah. there, and and uh, it's interesting. It's uh, mm-hmm. fun to watch for a second time. Yeah, and it was interesting to see like all those random people that like he, he focuses on like a little bit. Like he gives like five second focus on for some people throughout the whole movie. You're like, why did he just have that short kind of like camera move there? And then you realize they're all the people at the end, right? Like, oh really? Like you I know, the, the very first. Like in the first 20 minutes or whatever at the funeral, like Charlie's character looks over his shoulder and there's like that creepy blonde guy looking at her. Like that guy's one uh, of the cult members at the end. Oh, is he? Um, I didn't realize. Later when Charlie's like looking outside and there's like a woman waving at her, right? There's like this weird woman waving at her. She's also there. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's in there too. Wow. I didn't pick up on this. That's cool. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, there's small little things. You're just like, wait, what was that? And then it, it does kind of pay off at the end, I guess. I will say, what is up with Ari Aster and having yeah. these like cult people always have to be naked? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's some cult shit to do, though. Your, I don't know. I kind of buy it. cult shit. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's robes or nakedness, right? Like those have got to be the two standard cult outfits. Yeah, it's like a suit for a lawyer, <laughs> scrubs for a doctor. Like, but gotta have but as naked, naked or wear a robe, bro. Cultists, for cults, yeah, yeah, yeah. Birthday, yeah, suit. birthday yeah. suit or or a robe. I feel like a robe is also acceptable cultist attire. Yeah, uh, um, like damn, it'd be weird if they were fucking like wearing like polos and like cargo shorts. Well, that's the, that's one of my favorite things about Midsummer, though, is just like the costume design of the. But I don't, I don't, I want to keep calling it a cult because I don't know, maybe it was a cult, but whatever that community was Shouldn't. in, in Midsummer, right? Like, I thought that that was really cool. Yeah. I think, I feel like 
maybe we should do this episode again where I've seen <laughs> because like the comparisons are like too frequent. Like, well, ne- next time we do one of those, yeah. um, what we've been watching, just watch Midsummer and then we'll we'll do a little drop it in there. Yeah, little mini deep dive, mini mini dive on. Midsummer. I wonder. I wonder if I I like Midsummer um, more because maybe because yeah. I saw Midsummer first. Yeah, it could it could be that. First. I mean, I don't I don't yeah. know. But uh, is there anything else you guys wanted to mention? Uh, not particularly. I mean, I think both halves of the both parts, not halves, but both parts of the movie are really good. The first two thirds or three quarters was like this acute portrait of a family that's riven by this tragedy and uh, you know this, this, these weird psychological issues. Uh, it's so realistically and beautifully handled. And then the last bit, which turns into like a demonic possession story it's also really creepy and really good so both parts of the movie even though they're different are really good so it's just it's just an excellent watch yeah i think i think the way the movie wraps up is like perfect too it's uh the imagery is just so great right um like annie's headless body her corpse is like floating into charlie's treehouse um and then peter finally gets up there and like it's charlie's head on a mannequin like her decapitated head on a mannequin and then like the coven members are there the, and like the headless corpses of Peter's mom and his grandma they're they're there too um and then like he's crowned as like Paimon's host it's just a, such a striking image to end the movie on and he's got like tears in his eyes he has uh, tears in his eyes a lot in this movie very big big he does, he does. eyes yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll give it to Arias I mean yeah. he really captures a lot of great emotions out of his actors, right? I mean, both Tony Collette and um, Alex Wolf. Yeah, I mean, both uh, of them Alex Wolf are just yeah. like long takes where they just like look like they're just about to shed a tear or are shedding tears. It's really great acting on both of them. Yeah, he's like a child actor. He was on like that Nickelodeon uh, show, The Naked Brothers. Oh, band I don't know that show with like his brother. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I recognize him from uh, Jumanji, the last two Jumanji movies. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he seems like a great actor. Hopefully, we'll see him more stuff. Like the scene in the classroom where he smashes his Yo. face on the desk. That was and then insane. he like does that weird like, arm gesture, and I was like, "What is that?" And then it comes back later when yeah, you, know, you yeah. see the the image of Paymon, and he's like holding this hand right that looks like it's pointing just like Peter is. Yeah, so it's really great. Really, yeah, great yeah. In like the in like the illustration or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's all connected. Yeah, all exactly. It's all there, and I think that's what Jeff's talking about. Like, if you watch it a second time or a third time, all you know those images, I think, will come more to the foreground for you. Yeah, I just think it's a very powerful film. It's not a fun horror movie to watch. It's no. not like Drag Me to Hell or anything like that. It's not fun, yeah. but it's very really good. I really, I mean, I I enjoyed my time because I knew I was not supposed to be having fun. Oh. <laughs> Got to go yeah, with yeah. the right attitude. <laughs> That tense, uh, lower yeah. my volume attitude a little bit. <laughs> um, so, like, right before uh, our shelter-in-place order came in and before we were, like, self-isolating, we had our neighbors come over uh, oh, nice. to watch Midsummer for the first time. Um, they didn't really <laughs> have a great time watching it. So I was like, ooh, I'm so excited to show them this movie. They watched it, and, and the guy, my friend Eugene, They're was like, like oh. fuck you, Jeff. <laughs> Fuck this movie. Really <laughs> yeah. <funny>. Yeah. <laughs> there are definitely moments in both the movies that are just like, I'm not going to. F- I, I said this about Midsummer. I'm going to say it about Hereditary too, where I'm just like not going to forget, you know? And uh, yeah, it's it's great. They're, I mean, that's yeah. what movies should do, right? They should really affect you in, in deep ways or personal ways. 
Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I've seen Hereditary wow. like three or four times now, and like every every time I like dreading Tony Collette finding uh, her daughter's body in the car. And just, oh, yeah. Like you don't even see it. That it's just whale. that. Yeah. Uh, that crippling wail is just so gut-wrenching. Like, you can't... It's like, every time I'm, like, dreading it. Like, I don't want to... I don't want to listen to it. I don't yeah. want to hear and it's, it. And it's it's uh, not even, like, she opens the door and you hear her, yeah. right? And you don't see the body. It's, like... She, it's, like, far away because you're still with Peter yeah, in his yeah, room. Yeah. You know, inside the house. So it's it's yeah. a great scene. But then, yeah, it eventually moves in and then she's still crying and then wailing. And, yeah, it's it's... It's a pretty intense movie, and I, I like these two. I I definitely highly recommend anyone watching. And I think I watched it on Amazon Prime. I think so. Yeah, if you want to watch it, yeah, it's on Amazon. Prime. I think both Midsummer uh, and Hereditary are on. Yeah, so double feature. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. double feature. Yeah, <laughs> feel bad double feature. Uh, I always say like the measure of like a good movie is how long it lingers with you after you watch it, and like how long it stays with you. And both Midsummer and like. For me, more uh, with Hereditary is like prime examples of something like that, right? Like something that stays with you long after you leave the theater or long after you you watched on, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. All right. Well, if uh, that is all that we have to say, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Jeff, where can people find you? You can find me on my blog at strangeharpers.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at strangeharpers. What about you guys? Um, you can check my letterbox, and Derek. Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, and my letterbox at the wrong dig. Dig spelled D A Y I K. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And also, uh, if you happen to listen to us on Apple Podcasts, please go ahead and give us a great star rating. Uh, it's definitely an easy way, a free way, of showing your support for the podcast and also getting our podcast out to more people. If you guys have any comments, questions, suggestions, uh, feel free to email us at info at strangeharbors.com. We always like hearing from our listeners and our fans, um, and we try to share some of those emails on the podcast sometimes, so feel free to write us. All right, so uh, that's it. See yeah. you guys next week. Everyone stay safe. Yes, definitely stay safe. See you guys next week.